This is Beyond the Bell Tower, where an elite group of North Carolina State University students give us a behind-the-scenes look at their steps to success and show us how they attain even their lofty goals. These students, who are in the top 10% of the country, are active in student support services at NC State, a nationally recognized program designed to provide support for low-income, first-generation college students. Nationally, this population has an 11% graduation rate within six years. The student support services students surpass that rate each year and go on to become doctors, dentists, accountants, and engineers. They work at Google, Apple, and the NCAA. They have earned PhDs in Ivy League colleges. These students go well beyond the bell tower to reach this level of success. So this is Sarah, and I'm here with Bree alum, and Bree is going to introduce herself. Yeah, I think something that's important for students to know is to tell everyone that my name is Brianna, um, but I go by Bree, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I'm here to serve as a resource. I am a part of staff here at NC State University, but my main role is in university housing, where I work as a community director for North Triad and uh, Watauga. So if you all are ever experiencing any challenges with the college search process or navigating any difficulties that may arise, as a first-generation college student, know that you do have someone on this campus that will make sure that you matter, listen to your story, validate it, and then try to connect you to the appropriate resources. I am a proud first-generation college student um, myself, and I know how important it is to really be able to identify those people on campus who are not afraid to um, share their story. So this is my moment as a staff member on campus being really vulnerable and being authentic about the challenges that I face um, in undergraduate and continue to face um, to this day. Yeah, no, and we're super excited um, that you wanted to be on the podcast and that you're willing to share your personal story, and especially as what you endured as an undergrad yeah, college yeah. student. <laughs> um, and so I met you when we were talking about the rates of college students who experience hunger and homelessness on campus, and that really got you excited, like that meant something to you. Do you want to share why that was such a big deal? Yeah. To you. <laughs> so I think that the reason why I got like really excited when we began to talk about like food insecurity and what that looks like on our campus is because I come from a very um, low, C low SES background and my family growing up, we mm. were on what some people would consider um, welfare and I um, know how difficult and hard it was definitely um, throughout my collegiate experience to have groceries every day, right? Like I would see certain people coming into the resident halls and their families are coming to their um, picking them up and they're having like tons of groceries, right? Vice versa with me. My mom is a single parent, work multiple, jo um, work multiple jobs. So while I was getting necessarily groceries, it wasn't necessarily on like an everyday rolling basis or, or weekly basis. So I began to realize that my experience was drastically different than some of my peers, right? Like on the outside looking in, um, people make preconceived notions about you, right? And a lot of people would have never thought that there was some moments where I did experience like some food insecurity. So I had to think about ways of, you know, how do I make sure that I'm keeping food in my refrigerator, right? But just not food that is high fructose corn syrup or sodium based. Like I definitely do need nuts and fruits and vegetables and waters to just to be able to function every day and go to class. So with that came with me wearing multiple hats and I had to uh, navigate my college experience by having like four jobs on campus. Um, 
I was the person where I didn't really want to put a lot of stressors and barriers on my mom because I already know the challenges that she faced. So I knew that I had to think about other ways that I can make ends meet um, for myself. That's why the common read is also very special to my heart, um, $2 a day, because it's very easy for people to say, well, you know, you can just get a job where your mom, you know, could have went to college. But even coming to parent orientation for my mom was significantly uncomfortable because she realized that she didn't necessarily have the cultural and social capital um, like a lot of her peers had when sitting in that family orientation session and, and even made her kind of a little bit sad because she came back to me saying, hey, Bree, you know, I had no idea that you were even supposed to fill out financial aid or FAFSA. Like, when did you fill that out? They talked about a deadline. I knew nothing about it. They talked about a book voucher. What is a book voucher? Um, how does that go about? Books are anywhere between $500. Do you have to have those on the first day of school, right? And it just constantly um, being this moment of both her and I just didn't realize how much we didn't know. But through me having some like valuable mentors, I had already filled out my FAFSA. I kind of asked her for all of her information and went online and I was able to get everything done. But just in that moment, it was just so surreal for me as it's like throughout my college experience, I was constantly going to be reminded that I was a first generation college student because it wasn't until I got there, like I didn't realize like every day I was realizing how much I just did not know about navigating the college process. Right now, how did you end up in college? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, I grew up in an urban neighborhood and my situation wasn't necessarily the best. There's a lot of uh, gun violence, a lot of drug violence. Um, I'm from the Detroit, Michigan. Michigan. So with that came a lot of challenges and me just growing up every day, seeing that like I've always been really motivated to allow my circumstances to push me to greater heights. And I knew that I wanted to be a change in there are statistics around a lot of kids at my high school is, is that a lot of you all won't go off to college. A lot of you will necessarily probably have kids and things like that. So I always work super, super hard in the classroom and tried to get involved in many student leadership positions that I held throughout my time in high school, being a president of multiple organizations, serving uh, the community. But the biggest thing for me was always mentorship and um, really giving back. So I knew that I wanted to go to college. I think it clicked in my head like seventh grade. It was very early on because I knew that I had to make a change and me reading books and going online to the library, realizing that in order for me to change my circumstances and situation, unfortunately, due to the hierarchy of how things are set up in America, is that I was going to need a college education in order to do so. So I utilized my school guidance counselor and just talked to her like, hey, you know, college is a thing. You know, I heard about it. My mom and my dad did not graduate from college. They don't really know much about the process. They're supportive. They'll let me go wherever I want to go, but where do I start, right? There's this thing called a personal statement. What does that even mean? There's an application fee. Like, I'm not going to be able to afford to apply to every single college that I want to. Right, because even the college search process that they detail on the on you know online and on websites like the shoulds, you didn't even have those should like you didn't even know what the shoulds were no I just didn't yeah. even know what the shoulds were yeah I was just what you should have done yeah or should do yeah I was just right. really lost uh -huh. now going back to one of the things that you said about the statistics because I think that is a, a huge part is living the expectation so like what was expected of you um I think that one of the things for me is, is it's really mind-blowing when I think about the success and the challenges that I had to get here. 
Um, a lot of people always said, Bree, we knew that you would do it. You just had a different kind of grit and resiliency when you showed up to the classroom, how engaged you were, how many questions you asked. You were just always so inquisitive. Um, and while you didn't necessarily like have the structure to know what college is about, you were always trying to ask those questions to be able to get you to the next steps and always sharing that information with your peers because you knew that like 80% of you all shared the same lived experience. So um, I think the expectation is, is that whenever I was made aware of resources and knowledge and information, I was always sharing it with my peers of like, hey, you know, college application deadlines and admission deadlines is this day. Did you know that there's like a FAFSA deadline? The FAFSA deadline is this way. Like, is there any way we can get together as a group, go to the counselor um, and use a computer lab so that we can always apply? Like, I feel like I asked a lot of questions and knowledge was always given to me, but I know that that's not everyone's personality. So I wanted to make sure that my peers still had access to those same resources of just knowing um, how to get there. And that's something that I knew all my teachers, they say they're never surprised by. Um, they knew that I would always do it, but there were some challenges to get here. Mm -hmm. A lot of challenges. Now, where did you end up going to college? Yes. For undergrad? I ended up, I am a proud alumni of Wayne State University. It's an urban research institution um, in Detroit, Michigan. So, had a lot of opportunities to go to other schools in Michigan and out of state, um, but I just really didn't feel the vibe when I went to orientations. Like, a lot of the big schools, I really felt like, a number. I didn't necessarily feel like it was going to be like a personable process. Just being first generation college student in itself is already a very overwhelming concept and it's hard to grasp. So at the schools, when I think about the Big Ten back home, like the Michigan States, the U of M's, applying and getting into those institutions, yeah, it was great and it was awesome. However, just going there, I just felt like I wouldn't matter. Right. Like I would just continue to struggle even more than what I was. Um, and going to Wayne State University, my experience at orientation was drastically different. Like they did a lot of sessions about, you know, resources and how do you get connected to resources? And I was like, wow, this institution model talks about helping all students aim higher. And me thinking about it from an access standpoint, this is a place that I want to get my degree from and say that I'm going to be a proud alumni because from day one, they were showing me that they are not only invested in the students who are going to be paying for their tuition out of their pocket, where mom and dads are lawyers and doctors and teachers, but they are also invested in those small um, girls like me who grew up in an urban neighborhood and is a first-generation college student where her family has limited knowledge about um, the college search process. And they made me feel like I mattered. And I was like, this is it, Mom. I know I want to be a warrior. This is a place that I will be excited to call home. Right. And I think that's even for graduate school, as our students look at graduate schools, it's picking the school that's best for you and not necessarily the name. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Like, yeah, it's yeah, okay. You're extremely successful, and you <laughs> didn't go to Michigan State. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not go to Michigan State. Yeah. Wayne opened a lot of doors and a lot of amazing opportunities there um, for me, and I don't regret my decision at all. I'm, I'm very happy that I didn't get, you know, pushed into peer pressure with everyone saying, you know, Michigan State is in a part of the Big Ten. It's an amazing institution, which it is. But I just knew going there that that wasn't the institution for me. It wasn't the fit for me. While a lot of my friends was going there, I'm like, I think my career path and my story is going to look a little bit different. And in order for me to be successful how I know I need to be, Wayne State is going to be that institution to get me there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, excellent. Excellent. And then, so you did struggle, like, financially and with 
food while you were an undergrad and then you found that solution to be working yeah to I've, find yeah I found the solution to definitely work like I worked uh, four jobs on campus one was more of like a volunteer opportunity so I don't necessarily count that like I wasn't getting paid it was just something that I love doing in terms of like uh, programming but yeah, so when it came to the food insecurity, I knew that I needed to have the basic necessities outside of food. I also needed toiletries and being able to have some additional money to have fun um, with friends, so for entertainment. So my outlet was, okay, I'm going to pick up some additional jobs on campus. And with that came for me um, going to the desk, as my friends would say, Brie, you work like you were at a plant. Like you leave one job to go to the bathroom, to change your shirt, to go to the next job, um, switch your hair and make sure you're in dress code. And people would be so surprised because you would never know on the outside that you're the student that is managing multiple positions at an institution and you're having to switch out these shirts. But I think that all of my supervisors were very understanding, right? All of my jobs, it was a lot easier for me because it was on campus. So not all of them was between the 8.30 to 5 o'clock p.m. time frame. There was definitely, when I was a desk assistant, um, my office manager, Sheila, she was amazing to me, very phenomenal, and knew that I needed some additional work, but I couldn't necessarily do the eight to five because of my other jobs. So she was willing to really let me work those graveyard shifts. Um, and really, it gave me an opportunity to work late at night, but also, too, because it's like like a shift where you're not really doing much, but just asking for one cards and checking out some equipment here and there. I was just really able to get a lot of my homework done. I found a love and passion for reading and expanding my knowledge and just really trying to tap into things I was passionate about. But I think the biggest thing for me is, is that I became very observant of my community and my surroundings of Atchison Hall, um, where I served as an RA for four amazing years of my undergraduate career. And I realized that these same challenges that I was experiencing as a first-generation college student, my residents were beginning to talk about these same challenges. My friends was now beginning to become more comfortable to talk about these same challenges. So I began to think, how can I use my positionality to create an opportunity to really support the students that we are truly serving? And I thought this early on, like I was just an RA. This was like my second year as an RA thinking this. And I came to my community director, Latonia, who's phenomenal. And I was like, hey, you know, a lot of the resources for supplemental instruction and office hours, students in our community can't go to those because they are managing like four to five jobs and they have late night classes because they're also working during the day. So can we create a tutoring initiative that serves students who come from low economic backgrounds or their familiar structure and may not necessarily be uh, set up where they're able to go to those traditional um, office hours or traditional tutoring hours? So she was like, yeah, absolutely. Create a proposal, Brie. Um, and we're all sent it to the director in housing. So the director of housing was super bought into it because I was able to show the statistics. I was able to demonstrate the need and then collaborating with the supplemental instruction office to be able to create this late night tutoring initiative that occurred in the hall right next door to us. And then it also created an opportunity for RAs to tutor students and what they were passionate about. Obviously, these students went through an intense training as well, but this was an opportunity that I created right on. And I was able to see the drastic shift and change for myself, my community members, and it also created an opportunity and access for students to be able to have a job on campus. Yeah, because I'm thinking it's that if you had never shared your experience or you had never kind of been in touch with it to see other people having similar experiences to you, then that change wouldn't have happened. So the piece of it is, is that 
if you're experiencing it, probably other people are. Absolutely. And you, and you are the actual best person to come up with the solution. Absolutely. You yeah. know, so if it's, if, if, if you're on <laughs> campus and you think that everybody is a traditional student, you're wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. You're yeah. wrong. <laughs> so it's just the university hasn't caught up necessarily to the students. Absolutely. So, yeah, if something needs to be changed so students can be more successful, then the students need to say this needs to be changed. Absolutely. And now that you're working in housing as a professional staff... How would that process work? So if you had a, one of your residents come to you and say, Brie, the way you have this structured, it isn't working. It, you know, you're, it's not inclusive of all the students who are living here. This needs to be changed. How, how would that student go about making that change with you? Yeah. So I think that the best thing is, is like, right, I always try not to push my first generation college story on any students because like while we will have like a lot of common themes their story is going to be drastically different because I have to take into consideration like their social identities and their intersecting identities so I'll just sit down and ask that student when you talk about the structures what particular structures are creating barriers for you within university housing um living in my community what are some things that you have seen that has not necessarily made this feel like a place of home um, or a community for you and because like I'm very passionate about engaging in social justice and allowing my staff members and advisory council to be social change agents. One of the things that I really focus on is really creating them with that culture competency knowledge so that we're not creating as much harm, right? Like we can't catch everything, but making sure that we're making sure that our language is inclusive in our advertisements, making sure that when we're taking into consideration having food at events, is it all encompassing when it comes to dietary restrictions? Having my RAs pay attention, what students do you notice that are not coming to the events? What does that necessarily say? Is our programming at a time that isn't beneficial? How many students do you notice staying after events, taking home a substantial amount of food and having that conversation? So I think that the best thing is, is I'm a very authentic person. So a student can truly come into my office and tell me what challenges that they are having. Um, about navigating the experience with living in my hall and I will do everything in my power and work really hard to communicate with my supervisor um, who's really amazing to think about how can we best serve and support the need of the student while they are under my leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah because I think sometimes students think they're the ones who have to fit into the system we are actually, yeah. they can change the system so that they do naturally fit naturally in. They don't, they fit don't in. have to fight to fit in. No, definitely not. They don't have the fight to fit in. And I think that oftentimes, too, for some students, it can be a challenge, right? Like recognizing that not everyone's going to show up and be willing to be really authentic or be very welcoming and open about their story. So that can allow a lot of students to um, feel very closed off or feel like that they might be judged. I experience that sometimes throughout um, my college experience, but I think that that's why it's super important for them to identify um, what faculty and staff on campus like share those similar identities or what faculty and staff on campus don't necessarily share them, but they can empathize with their story and they're willing to listen to them and create opportunities. Um, just to just make it an overall like seamless process for them. I think. Yeah. Now, how did you figure out who to share um, stuff with? Like when you were an undergrad, how, how did you figure out who you wanted to be as a mentor? Yeah, so I really had some amazing mentors throughout my time um, at Wayne State University. I think the biggest thing for me was really just 
being observant, like as outgoing as I am and fun and with this big bubbly personality, like a huge part of me is I'm a very observant person and I, and I really pay attention to the smallest things that a lot of people miss out on. So just hearing my supervisor in her one-on-one talk about her challenges that she faced um, going to college and navigating like student affairs and higher education, I realized like, yeah, we, we had a lot in common with our lived experiences and our stories, um, my supervisor, Latonia, but as time went on, like also knew that there was some things that we didn't have in common. And that was great because there were some things that I was missing, right? Like she's a phenomenal and amazing writer. Um, and this is something that I'm surprised I'm going to share right now on this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, while I am an amazing writer, like I struggle from a grammatical standpoint, right? Like I have always been told by my teachers, um, in particular, it wasn't until I got to my master's program, Brie, you are a phenomenal writer. Your idea and your concepts are just, you know, so beyond your years um, for a first year graduate student, your solutions that you are able to come up with your interventions. Um, however, Brie, it's that grammatical piece that you really need to work on. Um, and just not even like realizing it, right? Because like my whole life I went on and I never received that feedback until I got to grad school. And that was really hard for me. Um, but in particular, when I went to grad school, like I identify one of my professors um, as my mentor because she was willing to be very honest with me and say, while you are great at all these things, like this is something that you need to grow on. Um, and I don't want this to hinder you as you necessarily um, move up. And her just taking a genuine entrance in me to sit down and learn about my story, learn about my history with like writing and, you know, like commas and periods and all of that really made me realize like she was very genuine and authentic. And I knew that she was doing it for more than a paycheck as my undergraduate supervisor Latonia was too they really took a genuine interest and they wanted to get to know Brie um, as a person, right? They didn't necessarily want to get to know Brie, the graduate student at the University of Kansas or Brie, the undergraduate student at Wayne State University. They're like, what is your story? What is your lived experience? How do you get here? What are the challenges you face? And how can we help you get there? Um, are some ways that I think that I've been able to really identify people that I would say like are my mentors. Yeah, because when even bringing it back to the writing piece, when people say like, oh, I'm a bad writer, it's like, well, no, probably not. You just haven't received the feedback that you've needed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You just haven't received the feedback that you needed. Yeah, so it's because I have that with students. It's like I can't go on to graduate school because, you know, I'm a bad writer or I can't do, you know, complete this personal statement because, you know, writing is my weakness. Yeah. When it's like, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I think that a lot of that too, right? Like it has to deal with like you being preconditioned and told that you're not good at something, you're not great at something, um, really allow certain students to like really dim their light, right? It just depends on where you are. Like luckily for me, right, my light didn't necessarily get dimmed in the sense of me being afraid to apply to graduate school, but there are definitely some times where amazing opportunities present themselves present themselves to me and I'm always so nervous because I have colleagues who are reaching out to me about wanting to collaborate on articles and wanting to collaborate on journals and I'm just nervous because I'm like yeah I know I got the amazing solutions I'm going to be able to write the amazing idea but where it's going to be a challenge for me is that grammar piece right um but not allowing that to stifle me as a person and I realized that that's what I had been doing right and it's really hard for me to talk about it on this podcast because I really haven't shared it with many people right usually it's me using a defensive mechanism to say oh I'm busy or oh I just don't have the time but really being able to openly share with my friends and say 
yeah, yeah, you all are right. I love to write and I'm amazing and I have all these great ideas. However, it's that piece of submitting something and having all those grammatical errors and that being associated with my professional brand that really makes me afraid <laughs> to submit anything. Um, but I'm at a place where I'm getting a lot better with that and I'm going to push and challenge myself this year to collaborate with some colleagues on some professional journals and get more presentations and things out there because somewhere in the world there's a student who's just like me like who's probably a great writer awesome but she may have experienced that one time or someone said you weren't the best at grammar so she has all these amazing ideas and a notebook or her colleagues or her friends know how amazing and great she is but because of that one incident in time it's sticking with her and it's serving as a barrier for them not to get forward so I think my mantra for definitely going into this year is like not allowing anyone to dim my light um, making sure that my light is always shining and making sure that, yeah, there might be some things that I need to work on in terms of grammar, but the best way for me to get over that is for me to continue to write, to continue to submit those pieces and understand that through trial and error, there might be some pieces that get put out there where there will be some grammatical areas, but that's the benefits of learning and it's so rewarding. And there's going to be a student who's going to connect with me because that experience so really just being authentic and me being able to share with them and say yeah while I'm an amazing writer and I, I like it I'm not afraid to tell you that one of my weaknesses is that grammatical standpoint I'm like is it a comma is it a period or a comma slice uh, <laughs> unsure right and being comfortable um, enough to say that I, I think I've, I've grown tremendously this summer has really been a reflection summer um, for me and I am so excited to try to publish articles and mm -hmm. do some large-scale presentations and mm -hmm. stuff so mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think that's when people ask you to collaborate with them. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like they're not asking for an editor, you know. Yeah, they're... yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, if you even need to say that caveat is like, yes, I'd love to contribute yeah. and collaborate. I'm just not going to be the editor. Right. Yeah, yeah. And let it go from there. Yes, you're so right, like Sarah. You're... <laughs> you're going and is like, no, I have to you know, produce the, the, you know, the finished product yes. for you all. And it's like, no, they may not even want you to. Right. Absolutely. You know, you as a team <laughs> have to come up with it. Yeah, definitely. So, well, we'll look forward. Yeah, To seeing that. Aww. But I, th I think that's even a, a way to, um, even for the people asking you to collaborate, say like partner, you know, and colleagues. Yeah. That may be their way of a safe zone. Like, yeah. they're not going to contribute something themselves, but they'll do it as a team. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they're, and they could be just like, well, I'm going to ask Brie because of all of her strengths. Yes. So they don't care about the weaknesses. No. And <laughs> I think that that's a good point you said that, Sarah, because once I was willing to like openly share with some colleagues as to why I was saying no and I didn't want to do it, and they were like, Brie, I don't care about that. Like, that is so small compared to how I know how amazing you are going to be with, you know, con like being able to consolidate the information, being able to bring the research, coming up with innovative practices, being very creative on making it theory to practice for our field, being able to tie in student development theory, um, and then being able to look at it from multiple perspectives for identities that you share and identities that you don't like. That's the colleague and the friend that I am so excited to collaborate. Brie, I never, I don't care about the grammar. Yes. And now this whole time I'm like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> but because I never asked, right? Like I just automatically assumed. 
um, which resulted in me not feeling comfortable um, to do that. And that's, again, where that first-generation college piece is, is showing up again in my life, right? Um, but me just saying that this is my year when my light is turned all the way up at 7.50. And regardless of whatever challenges or obstacles, I'm, I'm ready to go out full-fledged and force and begin writing and submitting some things. Because mm-hmm. I always have to remind myself <laughs> that whenever you see any published research, it has multiple names. Yeah, yeah, multiple names. You know, and it's because somebody's in charge of the statistics, you know, yeah, analysis. Yeah. Somebody's in charge of the research. Somebody's already been doing, you know, the work. Yeah. And designing, you know, the survey. It's never just one person doing it all. No, never. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you going to work on then this year? Like for what are you going to... Yeah. You're looking for, you're going to present or submit for a publication? Thing? Yeah, so we have a lot of professional organizations for mm-hmm. student affairs, like um, the CEHO, which is the Southeast Eastern Housing Association, uh, NASPA, ACPA, um, the Kuhu I Talk and Stick, where you are allowed to submit um, journals on any topics or anything that you are passionate about. So challenging myself this year um, in one of those professional organizations for me to submit an article, whether that's alone by myself or me collaborating with um, a peer about things that I'm passionate about, things that I think that as higher education professionals we need to be more conscious of. Um, when we're trying to have inclusive practice, practices, me just being able to talk about the great initiatives and things that I've been able to implement here at NC State, or the challenges that I face as a student, both in graduate school and undergraduate, and saying that these students are a part of your communities today. So I'm just so overjoyed. I'm really, really excited about what's to come from it. And I'm just going to be able to look back and say, wow, two years ago, I would have never even <laughs> pressed submit. Never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're <laughs> You need to send those yes. to me. I can't wait to see them. <laughs> Especially um, depending on what you end up doing. Yes. Is even collaborating with our students. Absolutely. That would be you amazing. Know, mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we had talked about before, too, you're working so much. And for my work with students, and I, and I know you see it every day, is yeah. when, does, when is work good for career development, good for responsibility, good for getting enough money to get your needs met to then being like harmful to somebody's health, harmful to somebody's grades. Yeah. Um, Because have you seen that both? I mean, I think that's like a a tricky ground, you know, mm -hmm. to know when work's hurting or helping. Absolutely. Um, I've definitely seen that um, as a challenge um, with students. Luckily, while I did manage multiple jobs, my GPA did not suffer or fall. In undergraduate, I was still able to maintain a very high GPA. But throughout my time working with college students at a variety of different institutional types, um, I've definitely have had students who really come to my office and they reach a point where they're like, you know, it has to be school or work. And people are saying that I need to choose, but I really need both. um, And here's why. And I think the biggest thing for me um, as a professional and practitioner has been, yo, Bree, try not to give them, like, advice from your story. Like, you have to understand, like, if you tell the student to quit their job, you know, what implications is that going to have on them for the rest of their experience at this institution? So maybe asking them, saying, like, why are you putting in this many hours? So you're putting in 40 hours a week. Why is that? You know, what are your basic needs? How on average, how much would you say you spend on groceries? How much do you need for entertainment? Do you have any um, medical bills, right? Do you have any 
um, insurance, right? And really asking students those open-ended questions and just coming straight out and not allowing it to be like a taboo topic because before I give them advice, that's going to better allow me to serve them, right? So if we are coming up with a plan and we're working through it and we're talking, um, it may be uncomfortable for the student, right? There's going to be a lot of pushing on their end and a lot of pushing on my end and they might shut down and say, no, Brie, I'm not okay with that. And then I might say, why? Right. Why are you not okay with that? Because I don't believe on giving up on students and letting students leave my office feeling like they walked in the same way that they left out. Right. Mm -hmm. The goal is to allow them to walk out feeling a lot better. So with that being said, is really saying, okay, based on everything you wrote down on this paper, you're at 20 hours. Right. You don't necessarily need to work those 20 hours. I'm thinking about approximately 10 hours would be really beneficial and the only reason why I'm making this recommendation and putting it forward is based on what you have told me your allocated expenses are uh, per month, right? I think that it makes the experience a little bit more realistic for a student and then saying, so now that you have these like five additional hours or 10 additional hours back in your schedule, how many classes are you taking, right? So let's schedule in some time where you're doing some wellness activities. Let's schedule in some time where you have an opportunity to go to the library and study or go to tutoring or office hours sessions. Um, but I definitely think that for a lot of students across the nation, it is a very hard balance um, considering who they are because for some students, unfortunately, it is a both, right? And then for some students... They may not necessarily need to work as many hours, but they still need to work, but they don't necessarily have anybody to, that's willing to sit down with them and be patient and be understanding and hear their story to really help them um, be in a better space mentally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think that's the thing with priorities is it's hard to tell somebody on a college campus that academics is not your first priority. Your first priority is making enough money absolutely, so that you can send home so you're family has a place to stay absolutely and it's finding the person <laughs> on campus that you can say that yes to mm -hmm. that I mean and just because your priorities aren't the same as a whatever you think a traditional student is doesn't mean there's somebody like you can talk to absolutely so you can talk to Bree yes <laughs> you, can, you can talk to me <laughs> my office is uh, located in Syme 116A, I am always willing to be a resource through, to you all throughout your PAC experience, willing to listen, provide support, and get you connected um, in any way. Um, that's my way of giving back because so many people um, have given back to me in many ways in my life. And they always say, when I reach back out, what can I do to ever repay you? And they say, nothing, Bree. Just pay it forward to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you have the motivation to go through undergrad and then grad? Because you had to have sometimes hard days. <laughs> hard days hard times Woo! so yeah there was there was a lot of hard days there was a lot of hard times uh especially with that notion of just sitting in a classroom and you really realizing how much you didn't know like I graduated from high school with an overall GPA of a 3.5 so I was in the top of my class I was my class president. Like I was just super involved. So in my head, I'm like, woo, college is going to be a breeze. I'm going to transition into college. And it's going to be a piece of cake. Like I'm not going to experience many academic difficulties. But then when I got to college and I got in the classroom, it was like, whoa. So this 3.5 you got. Oh, wait. Yeah, you are still smart, Bree. But then there's small things where a teacher is sitting in a English course and saying, yeah, you all have a prezi due next week for your assignment, 
And I turn over to my best friend, Chris, and I'm like, bro, what's a prezi, bro? He's like, I don't know. We went to the same high school. I don't know what a prezi is. And us in that moment realizing like, wait, so we had a computer class. We don't even know what a prezi is. So having to just go back and figure out what it was, right? And then there were some students who we were joking about it afterwards who were like, yo, Bree, I can't believe you didn't know what like a prezi was like. Our high schools are kind of similar. I at least know what a president and a PowerPoint was. And in that moment, right, like you're laughing and you're joking around with them because um, you find it funny, but then you go back to your resident hall and you're realizing like, wow, okay, so here's another thing for me to put on my list that I don't know. So I need to spend some additional time going to someone's office to talk about a prezi, me looking up online, how do I even do a prezi or a what is it called, a pecha presentation like you know just those mm-hmm. kind of things because those I didn't have access to those resources um at my um uh, high school so again um I struggled with math um that was something that I drastically struggled with like I failed my basic math class two times like I just have never really been good at math like even growing up like I knew that I can always get like A's in all the rest of my classes but math for me um was always like a B minus or most likely a hot C plus um no matter how many times I stayed at tutoring or how many hours I put in it just wasn't clicking right like family saving up money working countless hours for me to try to go to Sylvan Learning Center having like private tutors just still was not working Um, And then I realized like, oh, it showed up again, right? Like when I get to college and we're doing like Y equals MX plus B for some students that's so similar. But for me, I'm like drastically struggling for this entry level math class. And I'm like, whoa, yo, I got like two more math classes left (laughs) and I'm struggling in the entry level one. And like my teacher, Miss Gordon, like I absolutely loved her as my math teacher at Wayne State. She was just like. You know, Bree, you're putting in so many long hours and you're coming every day to tutoring and we're working on the things that you're having uh, challenges with. But then I got an email saying the first time around, like I failed the class completely. Mm-hmm. Right. And then her reaching out to me and just saying, you know, you put in a lot of hard work, Bree. I know how hard you work. I'm sorry you didn't pass. And then me having to take it a second time. Right. Uh, the math class and I'm like yo something has to give like I, I have to pass this because now in my head I'm freaking out I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna graduate if I can't pass this class yeah. so putting in those same hours and I just remember the grades she didn't even allow them to call like come out she called my cell phone and she said hey Brie it's Miss Gordon I said hi Miss Gordon how are you how's everything going and in my head I was like Okay, so I'm going to have to take it again. And she was like, I am just so happy to tell you, Brie, that you passed MAV 0993 with a A+. Wow. In that moment, <laughs> I screamed, I cried. I was just so overjoyed because I put in so much hard work and I just worked super hard. And while I failed it multiple times, it was like finally the last time it was like my victory lap. And I knew for sure, like, oh, I'm getting emotional crying, (laughs) (laughs) crying right now in this. I knew that in that moment that I could finally say I'm graduating because Mm -hmm. every year at home, you know, the casual dinner conversations for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And when you go back to your high school to volunteer for things, it's like, yeah, so when are you graduating? Right. For me, I would be like, yeah, you know, it's it's a thing. It's coming. Because, again, my barrier was at math class. So I really didn't know what graduation was going to look like for me because 
I kept failing the math class. But yeah. I was able to confidently say after I passed, I was like, yeah, graduation is going to be 2015 <laughs> for field. I'm so excited. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, thanks for sharing that with us. <laughs> but I think that's hard, too, is like explaining that to family when it's so hard for yourself. Like, you don't want anybody to no, know. No, you don't want anybody to know. Like, yeah, I failed at it multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, but now it's one of the most, it seems like it's like one of the better experiences that you've had. Like yes. Like overcoming. Yes, just, just yeah. overcoming um, the obstacle. Again, it's just, it's so rewarding because I know where I was during that time and I know how I felt. So, I mean, for students, it's like who are putting their all into everything, how I did, and you're giving it 100, but the product is just not coming back at 100%. Is, as I say, is, is like, don't lose hope. Don't lose focus. Don't lose sight. Um, you are going to have professors like how I had for me, which was Miss Gordon, who's really going to care about you. And no matter how many times you feel it, it's going to really be there to want to, like, support you. And I think another thing, too, is, is like, I had a really great friend named Shannon who was an engineering major where math was like her area of strength. So we would spend so much time um, at the front desk working our late night shift, just going over like small math concepts and her speaking to me about what were my challenges about math. So like, she was just really nice. And then I had residents who where math was their strength. And because I was just like such a outgoing, very friendly, welcoming RA and I really helped them make help them make Wayne State feel like home like my students also didn't mind returning that investment to me to pour into me to say hey Bree like I know you were struggling or I seen that math grade you got in class today Bree and you failed that test why didn't you tell me like math is my favorite subject right and me saying oh I'm embarrassed because I'm in a leadership position to tell you that I actually failed yeah and I think this it's just like how you love to help other people want to help I mean the majority of people want to be helpful yes yes so, it's like even though it may be embarrassing yeah you know, embarrassing you're, for sure you're their RA yeah you know, yeah like can I but it's it's like how would that have felt if you were a first year student and your RA came to you for help yeah you would have loved it you would I would have loved it yeah, yeah I would have loved it like oh I felt so invisible I felt so alone like no one cared my RA was able to like pay attention to something that's so small, such as like mm-hmm. me getting that paper grade back and they're seeing like that red D on that paper that says a D plus and me being embarrassed and trying to hide it and them being like, Hey, I seen it. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I'm really great at. And I want to help because you are great. Yeah. And I exactly. want you to be great. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because that's something that you and I had talked about before is like sharing what you don't know yes so what's the difference between just being honest yeah versus sharing something that's embarrassing Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. absolutely I think about that piece um about right there's going to be a lot of things um that you might be really embarrassed about because you are on a college campus where it seems like everyone's succeeding and everyone's navigating the college process with ease and You may realize because of your identities you hold, you're in spaces and you're in classrooms where not everyone looks like you. Um, So you're assuming that your story and your experience, that you're the only one going through it, but you're not, right? Like somewhere in another major, there's somebody else who's having that same challenges that you are. Um, And just really figuring out what is the best way for you to feel comfortable, right? Like, is that you more so typing an email to an instructor talking about what your challenges are? Or is that you sitting down with an administrator and saying, these are my challenges in a one-on-one setting? 
And I think that for each student, that's going to look very different depending on who they are, their personality, preferred communication styles and something else um, that you have to take into consideration. But the biggest thing is, is that people don't know what you need until you tell them. You know, they're not going to know what you need because it's so easy, right, for you to put on a smile every day and say, like, oh, I'm having a really great collegiate experience. And, yes, my grades are really good, but then nobody may not know that there's that one class that you're having challenges with. Or maybe it's not academics, right? Like, maybe it's I'm doing really good with my classes, but I'm going to class every day and my stomach is growling in class and it's embarrassing or I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get from point A to point B to work because I don't necessarily have the transportation, right? So it may not always be academics. It could be food. It could be um, other uh, financial um, resources. But just really, again, it goes back to identifying who those people are on your campus and trying to share your story, right, to what level you are comfortable with to make sure that you have the necessary support because it's easy for some students to sit down and say that, you know, you know, everyone should know that on a college campus, there's first generation college students. They admit us to this institution. They um, recruit us to this institution. But then when we get here, we we do feel like a number. Right. To a certain extent, I definitely felt that myself, you know, as a first generation college student. But really finding power in your voice and letting people know how this is affecting you and hurting you um, is going to be superb throughout your college um, experience and know that. It might be some moments where it is embarrassing to share, but think about it as how I kind of did is, is that your story that you're coming forth and you're sharing it is helping you help like 10 more students whose story is very similar. So that means you having to communicate with some difficulties or challenges. You have to pave the way for somebody else next to you. That's more rewarding than money could ever be. Right. And I even think of it as, you know, as individuals, we think we are you know and unique and special which we are yeah but you know you're <laughs> actually not you know so you are speaking probably you know for hundreds of yes, students absolutely because it's like well nobody's talking about it so you may need to be the first person may need to be the first person and you'll have all of the support behind you going yes 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 yeah and just really uh, I'll, my favorite thing is to say is it's like really figuring out what tools do you have in your toolbox and identifying like what are your strongest tools to be able to help you move forward mm-hmm. yeah because there's tools that you have that other people don't have because of your lived experiences absolutely so you have strengths that are desperately needed because other people don't have them absolutely because in your job, like even through graduate school and then as a professional, are there experiences that you've had as a first generation low income that you think have prepared you to be more successful in graduate school and your professional life? Yeah, I think that, you know, I tell everyone that one thing about me is that I am a proud first generation college student. And that is one of those identities that I don't mind sharing because While there were a lot of challenges and obstacles along the way, absolutely will never discredit that. Um, It allows me to show up every day in my work drastically different. It allows me to be able to look at things from multiple perspectives because I know what it feels like to have and I know what it feels like not to have. Um, And I 
know that not all students' first-gen experience is going to be like my first-gen experience. So being able to lead with empathy and understand like at what points um, do our stories defer. Um, but I think that the most important thing for me is is that while there's a lot of successes with being a first-generation um, college student, I just sit back and think about who are all of those key players in my life, who were my cheerleaders, my champions, when I experienced like charms and challenges, as I would like to call them, cheering me along the way, really helped me go from undergrad to then go along to pursue um, a master's and to be very successful um, in my job searching, land some awesome opportunities with some great institutions. So I try to be that same person for others, how people was for me because I could have not been where I am today without those uh, key cheerleaders who was really cheering me on, having a very supportive family system while they didn't understand college, being there to support me and push me along the way, right? But me also realizing that that may not be every first-generation college student story where their family is supportive. Mm -hmm. And what made you decide on your career in higher ed? Yes! And rest life. <laughs> yes, so uh, it really goes back to my supervisor, LaToya Garrett. Like, she she was just really amazing, like, my first year um, being an RA. And I just feel like our conversations and stories that we had, she just really always believed in me. Like, I'm the person in a team that's really always coming with the big ideas, new opportunities for us to be innovative in our practices. But every solution that I bring to the table has always been based off the student needs and the student wants and not necessarily what I think that the students need. Um, so her just really believing in me um, and showing me that this was an actual like profession because honestly I thought she like volunteered her extra time and I thought she had a different job. I was like this lady is like always here after hours like we're meeting in staff meetings and then when she told me like no nah, girl I get paid uh, to do this and I have a master's um and went to school in Mississippi and I'm in higher education and I was like wait so what you do is like a career like that is a real thing um and she was like yeah and I was like okay wow and being able to have a really great relationship with my dean of students at my um undergrad institution dean Strauss as well it was like another key um opportunity where I was just like while there's a list of these amazing um, professionals who have served in a capacity to be my supervisor from like my orientation to supervisors, Ebony and Katie, who were just rock stars to say the least, just always gave me an opportunity and gave me a platform to really um, have a voice and to just really make an impact and change on my campus. And it just resulted back to like, so you mean to tell me that this makes me so excited just as an RA. It is so rewarding for me as an RA. I can make this like a career for the rest of my life. Um, I can continue to have the same impact that they've had on me. Um, and I think that the deal that solidified it for me is when my director of housing told me, you know, Bree, we, we looked at the common themes about why people become an RA across campus and, you know, 85% of people said that they become an RA because of you, Brie, how you really show up for the students and just how they know that you have their best interests at heart and you go above and beyond to make sure that they're having a great college experience really just brought tears to my eyes. Like yeah. I knew the impact that I was having, but a lot of these students were not even in my communities. They were just hearing about the great things that I was doing mm -hmm. from their friends who lived on my floor, lived in my resident halls. Um, or from my peers, just really talking about the greatness that I did. So in that moment, I was like, you're really 
creating opportunities for students to have access to things that they normally wouldn't have had access to. You're changing students' lives, students that people don't necessarily want to have conversations with or engage with or write them off as difficult people um, or hard to work with people. You have the patience, Bree, to see something in them so greater than anybody else. And I was like, this solidified it. This is it for me, and I want to make this a lifelong career of mine and I think in that higher education is definitely and me being able to go on to pursue a career in housing for the time being is also definitely it as well because I realize how I can infuse all my passions into um, different areas to really um, create a very transformative experience um, for my residents but more importantly to be able to train and develop RAs who are very culturally competent to really serve um, our students who are going to be coming from a variety of different walks of life when they move in with us on move-in day and making sure when they leave us on closing day that they can say that they walked away with some gems and jewels of knowledge to put in their lovely toolbox. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that's great. And then what are your um, future career goals? Like where you have, where you <laughs> open to what are you yes. hoping to do next? Yeah, so to be honest, I go back and forth, right? Like there, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, this PhD in higher education somewhere in the South at an institution seems like an amazing and phenomenal idea. But then there's another part of me where it's like I've always wanted to be a lawyer and always get um, a law degree, right? So I, I'm back on the fence. I feel like before I get that PhD or go off to pursue like a JD that is something where you have to be 100% sure, like it's not like a master's or undergrad. So I, I'm constantly going back and forth um, on which one I want to do. But like my long-term goal, um, of course, like I'll continue to excel through housing. I, I definitely want to be um, an assistant director um, within the next like two to three years. But I think after that, ultimately, just being able to gain some more classroom experiences, whether I take like, you know, the PhD route in higher education or the JD route with law, um, and my long-term goal is to just become the uh, vice president of enrollment management um, at an institution. It surprises a lot of people. They're like, I was thinking, breathe the president, the provost. <laughs> and I'm like, nah. Um, and then when I share with people why I want to be the VP of enrollment management, they're like, wow, Bree, that makes so much sense, right? Like, it allows me to really infuse my passion, right? Being a first-generation college student, being able to sit in that chair um, and look at it through my lens from an enrollment perspective to think about what are our policies in place that are continuing to create difficulties and barriers for our students? How can we make sure that our faculty and staff on our campus um, are really trained to engage with students who have these marginalized um, identities? What does that look like? When students are seeing professors that don't necessarily look like them, they are seeing professors that look like them. How are our recruitment practices inclusive and how are they exclusive, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are we just admitting students of color and students of marginalized identities for the sake of meeting a state quota? Um, or are we truly admitting them to our university because we are truly going to care about them um, when they transition into their uh, college experience? So a lot of it is just really looking at the policies and systems in place and really sitting down and thinking about you know, how can I change and shape the future um, of higher education when it comes to recruitment, retention, and access? Mm -hmm. So, and that's the piece of selecting a career based upon, <laughs> you know, what, how you think society should change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and that can be overwhelming, but yeah, when yeah. people are like, well, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm good at. I don't, I don't know what I'm interested in. Yeah. And it's like, well, what do you think needs to to change what needs to change for sure and just you're living like you're walking about living yes 
what do you want to change? Yeah. And then find a career or actually any career, I any guess, career. could do that. Absolutely. So I got hopes. I don't know where life is going to take me, um, but in the future, I'm going to name it and claim it that I'll be someone's uh, vice president of enrollment management at a large public uh, research institution. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll do it. You'll yes! do it. So now with um, most of the first year students living on campus, especially, you know, with so more of our students will definitely have contact with RAs, RDs, Res Life. So how do you think, like, what's your advice to a student? Like, how do you, how do you get the most out of what Res Life offers you? How do you get the most out of your RA? How do you get the most out of your RD? Yeah, so we have a very phenomenal team um, with the university housing. So if I could offer any advice to any college student um, is to utilize, like, maybe, like, your first month of really getting through, like, syllabus week and really trying to get acclimated and figure out who you are as a person because – College is where you truly find yourself. Like you may notice come August that your values may begin to change because you have a roommate who looks different than you or you might have a suite mate that looks different than you or share a different experience. So now you're going through this process of where you're reflecting about are your values that you were always raised on and taught in your house, are those truly your values? Because now you're being able to have those cross-cultural interactions um, into – really know that your RAs care about you. They are a resource and they want to help. So when you see their doors open or if you hear them saying, like, if you ever have any questions or you have any problems in the hall, don't hesitate to reach out to us. If my door is open, it's an open door policy. Please come in. Please talk to me. Know that they genuinely mean that. Um, and don't hesitate to uh, utilize them as a resource. Same for community directors and resident directors. Sending us an email, um, stopping by our office hours th that we have. But you can make the most of your college experience is if you set up meetings with key stakeholders um, within your building. So that's kind of like we talked about the RAs, the CDs, the RDs, and just being letting them know what are the challenges that you are experiencing because we go through a very intensive training where we're provided with a variety of different resources and we have some great colleagues across campus where if it's not necessarily something that we may have the answer to or our office particularly does, we are more than willing to pick up the phone and really connect you with those key campus partners um, across um, the campus. So while it's important to make the most of your experience, come to events. Your RAs work very hard to do a lot of community builders and really engage you all to build a very strong, cohesive community um, throughout the year. So you may not necessarily be able to stay at all of the events for the allotted time, whether that's an hour or two hours, even if it's just coming by to the event, showing your face for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, saying hello to somebody in the hall that you've never seen before, challenging yourself to talk to someone who's different than you that you normally want to talk to back home or necessarily you didn't necessarily have an opportunity to talk to them back home because maybe everyone um, look like you and don't hesitate to always give feedback about how we can be making your residential experience uh better get involved with the pack find out what you're uh, passionate about and know as a student you have your voice and don't allow your voice to be stifled uh, and use it because mm -hmm. some it's like residential life staff or university housing staff are not there just to enforce rules absolutely now we care about the students <laughs> yeah. we really are so invested in you all from the time that you move into the communities from the time that you all move out um, we really really do care about you so don't hesitate to come to us 
No, thanks so much, Brie. We really appreciate it. No problem. You'll have a bunch of students coming (laughs) to sign up to be RAs. Yay! When is RA sign up? Um, the, uh, dates haven't come out, um, just yet, but I'll be more than willing to send that information over to you once we get it. Okay, great. Thanks very much. (laughs) You're welcome. TRIO Student Support Services Program and Student Support Services STEM are federally funded college retention and completion programs. These programs focus on academic, personal and career support for under-resourced undergraduate students. At TRIO SSS and SSS STEM, our goal is helping our students reach their goals. We are currently accepting new students to our program. Apply today. Go to www.ncsu.edu to learn more about Student Support Services at NC State.